I've never had uh, a former chief executive of the FA because, as you may imagine, David Davis is way beyond my price range. Yeah. So, so and, I have to and never been a, and, and there's never been a former chief executive of the FA. Was he the chairman? He filled in between the gaps between chief executives, essentially. Oh, so he I was mean, like the Rafa Benitez of FA people. I think he was an interim, I would say. Yes, or... As someone said about Watford managers recently, all Watford managers are interim managers, which is a line. I went to university with this guy, Johnny Lou, whose pieces you may have read. The problem, Brian Barwick, is that I could keep you for hours. Um, I know that. Because um, who was I talking to who had a whole room of memorabilia? They were talking to me from that room. Do you have a room of Liverpool memorabilia of your own? You would be staggered if you could see what's lying behind me. Scrapbooks, programs. We're not visual. Are we're we? not visual, but you do say in your book, 60 Years of Red and Counting, a lifetime's passion. Scrapbooks, programs, autographs, photographs, newspaper cuttings, annuals, ticket stubs, badges, bubblegum cards, rosettes, scarves, and rattles. Where are you going to leave them? Because your son's not a Liverpool fan, so where are they going to go? Well, this is always the thing, but I mean, there's, there's more worrying things about falling off the planet, but. Uh... I think you start collecting without knowing you started collecting, really. I've just managed to acquire so much stuff down the years. I mean, I've got Liverpool's first ever game programme, September 1892. Which was Uh, worth a penny, and you paid a pretty penny for it. But you'll donate that. You'll donate it to the museum or something. It's in the will, put it that way, to to go to somebody, because it is uh, of its own nature, It's, it's, it's unique. Uh, I wouldn't have thought there's too many of them knocking about. No. But, uh, no, just, I collect everything. As, as a young boy, I was uh, fanatical on sport. If you grew up in Liverpool in that, that era, you, you just were, or certainly I was. And I collected, you know, I, I, there was a great newspaper, the Liverpool Daily Post, and it's photographs on a Monday from the matches that weekend before were great. They were sort of half page, half, half page of a broadsheet. You know, so I used to create a, a scrapbook in August and most of the time it survived till about March and eventually, occasionally, it got to May. I collected the old football league ladders out the comics. Mm-hmm. I collected autographs, used to go to the training a lot and uh, you were allowed in on those days and there weren't loads of people there. You were just really lucky if you if you face-fitted, you got in and, you, you know, you were standing 10 yards away from the five-a-side, which Bill Shankly was trying to win on behalf of the coaches and... And and then over a period of time, collected every programme home and away, and all the finals and all the rest of it. Yeah, memorabilia, a lot of England, England memorabilia, a lot of boxing memorabilia, a lot of Beatles memorabilia. So if you could see me now, you would see that I'm sitting in one of those things they call like man caves. Yes, I would, have, I actually, I would have guessed, yeah. Yeah, but I actually were... I... We closed our office down at Barwick Media and Sport, which was really just a vehicle to keep me getting to retirement. And uh, uh, about eight years ago, and so we, we live in Twickenham, and we've got a sort of three-storey house in the basement. One of the basement rooms I turned into a office come um, a library, really. I mean, this is a library. There must be a thousand books in this room. Yeah, which I'm, I bow to your superior... Um, bibliophilia and stuffophilia um, and you the congratulations on two things the retirement which I believe you took after uh, chairing the National League this summer yeah, 
yeah, I, I think it was about, well, I've got one or two things I still do, but believe you me, I feel retired. Yeah, oh, and, we guess, and, compared and, to the past, yeah. And it's a mindset, it's a mindset Correct. really, you know, I think you've got to be realistic to yourself about how much mental burden you can you can carry and you know most of the jobs I've done have been right at the sharp end and the front end of a lot of these things so and loved it by the way and being able to do it by the way but you know I'm 67 and I think also in, if, if I'm honest the Covid thing reminded us all a little bit of our own mortality you know Correct. you be careful you're not that you know and you know I've got two sons and you know one just got married and you know so there's a there's all sorts of uh, different type of future for me ahead. So uh, whatever the two things were, the first, in terms of retirement, yeah, I would call myself semi, but very semi-retired. I'm not looking to do anything, and I'm not being asked to do anything, but I've got one or two things. I do a lot in education. Uh, I'm on an advisory board uh, on one university, having been on the advisory board of two other universities. Uh, when I left the FA, one of the things I was very keen to do was to get a placement somewhere in, in education because, I, you know, without it sounding incredibly cheesy, I actually thought if you've had the career I've had, you, you're entitled to give it back well, in some way. Well, what I've just on that, one of my credos is first 30 years you're learning, the middle 30 years you're doing, and then the last 30 years you're, you're instructing, you're passing the knowledge oh. on so it doesn't go away. Oh. I think it's really important. So in the end, I, I was lucky in a way because I went back to my... Uh, Liverpool University where I actually got educated and uh, the Vice-Chancellor there was a Derby County season ticket holder so I didn't have to tell him who I was he, he knew and uh, so I became a visiting professor at Liverpool University in their management school largely doing their course on, on football, the football industry's MBA for them and then I became the chairman of the advisory board of UCFB which was a it, which is a very young university, which is linked into Book's new university, which was based on the uni- university campus of football business, and, it, and it's still alive and well and doing very well. So Absolutely. I've stepped away, stepped away from both of them now, but I'm now on the advisory board of Liverpool Hope University's management school, which yeah. happens to be based about 100 yards from where I used to live. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a boy, so it's quite nice to go back. That is the uh, circle of life. And you, you talk about your upbringing in Anfield's Days and Wembley Ways, which was your memoir, 2011, which I've not read. I have read the brilliant Are You Watching the Match Tonight?, which is about your time in the TV business, because if anyone yeah. doesn't know, uh, before you got your office at Wembley Stadium... Well, yeah, it was at Wembley Stadium, the FA's offices. Or were you no, in... Sir. I did Soho Square. Soho Square stuff. But, yeah. uh, I, I signed off at going to Wembley, almost knowing I would never ever see, yeah. see that see that moment. Because you know, when you do the sort of jobs I do, you have a certain amount of fatalism. And uh, you're waiting for very, the P45, yeah. Yeah, which is fine. Which is all part of it. You know, if you can't buy into that ethos, uh, then then you shouldn't be doing those sort of jobs. But no, um, my background is as a writer. You know, when I grew up, I wanted to be a journalist and a reporter. And my mum and dad were, you know, my, my dad was a, a policeman and my mum was a, a shop assistant. And uh, they were not great people. Empathised with what I wanted to do, but thought, well, you know, let let him get it, let him get that out his, out of his system. 
and uh, and then he'll get a proper job. And uh, I, I just never did. I never got it. So I was I kept applying all over the place. In fact, the, one of the ironies is the one of the places that knocked me back was the Liverpool Post and Echo. And then thirty odd years later, they asked me to write a weekly full page column in their newspaper. So when I eventually did that, but I said I'm not going to do it every week. I'll do it every other week. I did say, I hope you enjoy this column. It's taken me 40 years to get it in the paper. But uh, I love writing, and it comes naturally to me. And, you know, we all have a style of writing, if you write. And people who read my books tell me that they can hear me saying the words, if you know what I mean, yep. if they know me. It's, it's me vernacular. It's, it's written uh, in, in a... It's, it's a great style, which is uh, documented in 60 Years of Red and Counting, A Lifetime's Passion, published on Pitch... Uh, they have a lot of good authors, and me. I'm writing a book about the Youth Cup um, oh, next, uh, well, the next few months, and it will feature Liverpool and Michael Owen and Jamie Carragher. I was actually looking at Carragher's book this morning. What I would love to see is, and I don't know your rates. I know Carragher's rates wouldn't be particularly low, but I'll try and get him to donate something. I would like to have you and Cara sitting in the football library, which is where we are now, in this mind palace. Uh, inducting the three books of Brian Barwick in, onto the shelves. But you and Cara just having a kind of read off, kind of getting the most obscure factoids or cop, cop facts about Liverpool, because it was Stephen Gerrard who said Cara is a walking, talking encyclopedia. Okay. Uh, I saw, saw him score his first goal mm-hmm. for Liverpool. And uh, I, you know, I've seen him play many, 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 many times. And also when he was on England duty, I got to know him well. And... Uh, when he took that job at Sky, I took the opportunity to phone him up because I, I'm always concerned that the great sports people get dropped into these punditry roles and some are naturals and some aren't naturals and some are help and some aren't. And I just gave him a couple of tips, really. I said, not every ball has to be hit for a six. Yeah, I like that. Which I, I interpreted as saying, basically, you don't have to make a headline every time you open your mouth. Uh, and secondly, ask occasionally for real-time replays because everything is slowed down and analysed. The game ain't played in slow motion. So anyway, he took those things on board and has developed his own style, of course. And it, you know, it's great to listen to and watch. And uh, you know, he was very kind enough to do the foreword for the mm-hmm. book. I've, I have to recommend Caro's book, The Greatest Games, based on the podcast because I think he's revolutionised how football is talked about. He's a very smart lad. Um, as is his um, pundit colleague who famously doesn't like people from Liverpool, but you were the guy who in 2002 gave Gary Neville, was it a kind of apprenticeship? Well, no, what it was was he got injured before the World Cup in Japan and Korea, so he was available. Uh, I don't think he thought about whether to do some television work, but I thought he'd I'd watched him a lot and listened, you know, after match interview. He's a guy of opinion. He's got, he's got plenty of them, and most of them are very sound, I think. So I asked him to come on board to do the England games uh, for ITV, and he did them, and he enjoyed it. And uh, he happened to remind me, he reminded me of that. I saw him about five years ago, and he said, he said to the guy next to him, he said, this is the guy who gave me my first break in television. But mm. I'd forgotten about that, that because... You know, I've given a lot of people their first break in television, to be fair. Well, yes, but, including uh, including Alan Hansen. Have you played golf with him? Have you been on his team? Have you made up no, a four I'm, ball with Hansen? I'm you... absolutely 
was not a golfer. Oh. And one of the things I when I was the editor of Match of the Day, I almost had to ban from quarter to three on a Saturday afternoon when we all came into a room to watch all the games till the end of the programme, golf talk, because Gary would come and talk golf, Des would talk golf, Jimmy would absolutely talk golf. And if you're not a golfer, it's a bit boring. But also, you did have to get them locked into the moment of the day. But uh, and, and Jockey Hanson was a fantastic, is a fantastic golfer. So golf was always in the air, but not in my head. Well, no, because it's work. I mean, you can have a little bit of banter, but when oh, yeah, it takes yeah, over the listen, that, those Saturday afternoons were the, almost the best part of the week. You know, mm. we used to have a, 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 a sweepstakes of who'd win, and there were always wine gums and licorice all sorts knocking about. And, you know, each each guy would be allocated a game to watch. And, you know, the thing I said to Alan when he first started was, you've played a thousand games, and I've watched a thousand games, and we should, for the first few weeks, watch a game together, I said, and and then at some stage you'll want to fly solo, which for him was about after three weeks. I said, the, the trick here is by 10 o'clock tonight, you're going to tell me something about the game that I didn't see because you've played it and I've only watched it. Yeah. And that's the trick of it. That's the, in, in ways of one syllable, that's it. What do you make of the modern punditry trend for using stats bomb data, expected shots, uh, pass per action... Does that go over your head or are you pleased that that kind of stats model is coming into punditry? I think stats are best used in cricket. Uh, I think they have a, listen, they have some merit. They have some merit. But the game is still a game where the ball can hit the inside of the post and come out of the goal or hit the post and go in the goal. And there's no stat for that. So they may give you a a sense of, you know, possession and, and passes and all the rest of it. And I thought there were some startling stats yesterday on that Manu game because they seem to be 19th and 20th critical elements of football, you know, tackling, running and passing and stuff like that, you know. So occasionally they do they do show something, but it, I think it's almost, been, it's almost a thing that's been grafted onto the game mm. rather, than, uh, rather than be a natural, a natural element of it. Which is strange because Liverpool have used... Um, a lot of stats models. Uh, it was Arsenal who bought Stats Bomb in the first place. But you're absolutely right. Um, and we're now seeing kind of the post scouting model where people look at, at vet, well, they go through a computer program and just analyse games. But if you're watching Match of the Day on Saturday afternoon with Alan Shearer, he will use that experience of. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not suggesting, I'm not suggesting the professionals in the game shouldn't use stats. Or, or analysis, or in fact every tool that they can be. But as a, just as a viewer, and possibly an in, very informed viewer, given I know what I'm looking at, I, I think there's a place for them, but, but the game is very fluid, and uh, you know you can retain possession for 90% of the time, but if you let the ball go six, in the six-yard box and the, or the goalkeeper drops the ball, yep. and somebody scores, that's it, you know, so... I fully understand why the professionals use every element that they can to produce and present the formations and such like with their teams. But bottom line for me as a viewer, they have a they have a limited interest for me. I think I agree. Um, and you speak as someone who has seen this book says thirty five hundred Liverpool games. Happy anniversary! We're talking on October twenty five, so the day after yeah. Manchester United lost. 
their heads and the game against Liverpool. But yes, 28th of October, 1961. You've got the programme behind you, probably. Liverpool 3, Leighton Orient 3. Um, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, it's very difficult to actually say what was your first game for, because for all you know, you might have been taking in your nappy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you often see it now, again. But a game that I, I think I can whack the flagpole into the ground is that particular game. Uh, and I've checked it out with my brother, who's two or three years older than me, and he reckons that as well. So, and, and by the way, who's going to argue? So, uh, so that's the game. I do have the program from that game, and in fact, I did that terribly savage thing at the time of putting the score on the front, which of course Soft. we know is uh, yeah, is an anathema to football program. And when I was writing the the latest book, I got out the cut. I, I went onto the internet and got the cuttings from that game, and of course, Roger Hunt scored twice in that game actually. And uh, so you know, and you know, he recently passed away, and I, he was my favourite footballer. Have you um, have you spoken to Kieran Smith, who runs the Liverpool Historical Facebook page? Obviously, you'll be aware of all of these pictures, but he promotes Liverpool from before 1992. And uh, there, are, I think, is it 10,000 members? Um, and some of the families are involved on it. And I spoke to Kieran because he and Jeff Goulding have just written this book, The Untouchables, which you'll know all about because you've produced an official history of Liverpool FC, which is on YouTube, the story of the cop, which uh, you yeah, sent to Nessie Shankly. So, yeah. yeah. Nobody was doing them. Absolutely nobody. It was just a, a clear field. I, by then, had been in the B- I joined the BBC in 79. And I think we did the official list of history of Liverpool in 87, so nine years, eight years. By that time, I was working, I was the producer of Football Focus, uh, working on Match of the Day. I knew, the, I knew A, the archive, the immediate archive, because... I was working, it was part of my trade. But I also got to know how much was in the library. And I thought, this, this stuff, and it wasn't just about Liverpool, the stuff in the library about every walk of life at the BBC was remarkable. Anyway, so I spoke to BBC Enterprises, got John Motson on board to uh, report and narrate on it. And yeah, we produced this, which I think looks a bit tame now, but it didn't look tame at the time. Uh, it was It was groundbreaking. And in fact, it would have gone to number. It was number one. I love the, this story. In, in, in the video chart, because the one in those days you couldn't buy a film to, until it. Be, you couldn't see a film until after it had been out five years, and I didn't think you could buy a film out until after it'd been six or seven years. So you had a bit of a clear run, and we were number one in the chart, I think, until two weeks before Christmas when we were taken over by with a compilation of Watch with Mother, which I think is. If you're going to go down, go down, go out, go down on that way. That's perfect. Correct, because these were the days uh, when those were watched by squillions of people. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, great stuff. Yeah, so that was a decent piece of work. And, of course, one of the things that did dig out was that famous panorama report on the cop. Well, it wasn't supposed to be on the cop. It was supposed to be on a in a panorama called Liverpool, the most talked about city in Europe, which is, a you know, I think half an hour at the time, the panoramas then. Mm-hmm. And it, it was about the Beatles, and it was about the football, and it was about the culture, and, and you know, great place for comedians and, and poetry and such on. And um, so it became, uh, I, I dug 
that out. Now, I see it every 20 minutes now on LFC TV and other places, which is great. I mean, that's, you know, I didn't own it. But um, I think I was probably the one who dug it out. Yeah, that piece of work, we ended up, me and Motti ended up getting the platinum disc <laughs> for it, wow. you know. And, uh, and then we went on and we did a thing called The Mighty Reds. And then we did The Story of the Cop. Uh, and we did 90% of it. And then I went up and, and on the day it did uh, uh, have its final match. And of course, Liverpool lost that game. And left, because I'd left five minutes at the front, five minutes at the end to, re- to reflect that mm-hmm. final game. And we had it out by the end of the week. And that did okay as well. So I, I have these around, but I, I rarely watch them. But I, I watched some of them while I was writing the current book, just to remind me, because... Uh, as much as you think you remember, you forget more than you remember, and the dates and such. I, I, I had, so, but they were they were decent bits of work. And then we did match of the day, part one, part two, and part three. And I think somebody took it over after me and did part four and five. And I still get sort of um, uh, uh, royalties like four pound from Trinidad and Tobago oh, or somewhere. Uh, I remember that know. set because I got it for Christmas one year, and all I remember was Clark one nil constantly. That's all that seemed to happen in the early days of Match of the Day. It was Alan Clark scoring goals for Leeds. I must well, have... David, that was David Coleman. One nil. Yeah. Uh, that was his style. You know, and every, you know, every, every commentator has a style. And uh, uh, I was blessed when I was there for a Match of the Day, of course, with my, my two uh, guys were Motti and Barry, you know. So uh, I had two very different commentators, but both absolutely top of the game. Can you imagine walking down a corridor with David Coleman's unmistakable voice booming out of one office, Peter O'Sullivan's out of another, Murray Walker trying to make the coffee machine work, Bill McLaren looking for his commentary notes he'd put down somewhere, Harry Carpenter picking up flight tickets to get to the next big fight in Las Vegas, Eddie Waring taking off his trilby hat having come straight off a train from Leeds, Peter Alice and Jimmy Hill practising their golf swings in the reception area while John Motson and Barry Davis poured over that month's Match of the Day commentary rotor to see who had got which game. Indeed, in my first few days, Coleman came out of his office and barked, Hey, I believe you're the new lad. Scouser, eh? Well, welcome to the first team. Work hard and you'll be fine. But all of these characters, these are the voices of. Nowadays, we don't, and this is, many people have said this, we don't have the voice. We have loads of different voices. Would you be able to say who your voice of football is today? Um, I think, well, I will. I mean, what I would say is it was just... Personally, you're dealing with different times. There were, there were two, three, four, top whack five channels. And really, in terms of, say, football, there were two channels, BBC and ITV. And uh, I, I would say, in, in, in my prime period, there was uh, John Watson, Barry Davis and Brian Moore. Brian Moore. Uh, you know, so they, they were three iconic guys. I ended up going to ITV and working with Brian for a year. So I, I, I sort of crossed all of those. You've got to say, I suppose, uh, in terms of just longevity, Martin Tyler would be uh, would be a vo- would be the voice of football, but he hasn't enjoyed that sort of twenty years before of, of twenty million people listening to your words. You know, uh, he's a top class commentator, absolute top class commentator. But these other guys just had that opportunity you know these terrestrial audiences were phenomenal you know just phenomenal and uh, I've thought a lot of people talked about the pundits and the presenters but in truth you're in 90 minutes of company yeah it's a real skill and an art 
And the great thing about Motti and Barry is they were totally different. Somebody said, and it wasn't me, uh, but it's a clever line, that Motti uh, commentated for the football fan, Barry commentated for the director's box. I think, you know, there were, mm. It was a genuinely different style, and so choosing between those two was always difficult because you could make a case for any game they did that the other one could do it as well. And, uh, and I hope you sent Barry a birthday card this weekend. He's, was he 80? God, he's 80. must be 80. 84. 84, yeah. Well, there was a great shot uh, a week last Saturday at Watford of them sitting together. They both turned, uh, they both, you know, I don't know whether it was a, an accident or on purpose. They both ended up just watching a game of football and they sat with each other. So, for me, as a, you know, I, I, I made the point in the book, you know, when I walked down that car- corridor at Kensington House, in 1979, it was phenomenal. And I've truncated it into one corridor and a set of doors but there, uh, and, and a moment in time. But it was David Coleman, Bill McLaren, Murray Walker, Peter O'Sullivan, Julian Wilson, Peter Alice, Barry Davis, no. John Wilson, Jimmy Hill, Dot Dot, Eddie Waring. Dot, Sounds like a, I mean, it's a sitcom. It is a. It, I would love to write it, that sitcom. Yeah, but it was an amazing time. It mm. was amazing. And, you know, I, I was watching Match of the Day a fortnight before and working on it. That's, it was just an amazing opportunity. I've been. I've had a blend of good fortune and and a decent dose of courage, really, I think is, it would, I would say. And huge opportunities. I, I look back on a remarkable career that I didn't set out. To, you know, my first job in journalism was as, as a reporter on the local newspaper in Barrow and Furness, the Northwest Evening Man, which amazingly we put out every evening when I look back on that, you know. And I still consider that to be one of the best things I ever did in my life. You know, you know, I remember turning on the first day and I had to, I, they gave me a notebook, they gave me my press card, they gave me a, two sharp pencils and sent me to the local, uh, local fair to come up with a story. And um, I just think, you know, wow, that, that's, I'm, I'm a reporter. And uh, everything else stemmed from that, really. And I don't think anybody will have had, we've all got different careers and different things, but I don't think anybody would have had the career I've had. I've just, I've just ended up getting into situations where I've been in remarkable places and in remarkable positions in those places. Hopefully done a reasonable job most of the time. You know, you just got to go with it. And then... Last Wednesday, I was privileged to uh, receive the OBE from the Prince of Wales at Windsor Castle. Oh, you have but got it. That, I was going to ask you that because you were you were named yeah, during I, the pandemic for services to yeah, broadcasting or services. To, it, it, it was for services to sport and sports broadcasting. Fantastic. And so you were invested by Prince Charles. Are you allowed to say what he said to you? Not really, but it was it was warm and you know it was warm and uh, not, yeah, very good. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he's the future king. Uh, you've seen plenty of kings in your time at Liverpool. 60 years of red and counting a lifetime's passion. 16.99 out on pitch. Lovely red cover. It's Duncan Olner again coming up with the goods. The Egyptian I king. Great, I think it's a great cover. And um, yeah. listen, the, the, the idea behind it was, I always think anything with a note and a five on the end of it is, is I used to say this when I was chairman or chief executive of organisations. If you're looking for a, if you're looking for a reason to do something, if there's a note or a five on the end of it, be it an anniversary, be it a celebration, then go 
for it. And it struck me one day during, I think, the first lockdown, actually, 61, 2021 is 60. Uh, I started thinking about, I must have given Pitch a call about October last year, something like this time last year, probably. So they've got this idea. They, they were very keen to do it, and I found them very decent people to deal with. But once you did start it, you're committed, which is right and proper. Uh, and the only way to write that book, in my opinion, is chronologically, because um, you can't dive around, really, because you it has to have some type of natural flow. And really, in the end, it sort of writes itself, because I try to think of it as 1,500 words per season. Yeah, which is 90,000 words. 90,000 yeah. words. Now, there'll be seasons where you do 900 words because it was, you know, it was a so-so season and, and there'll, be, there'll be the ones where you do 2,000. Yeah. But uh, it came in at roughly, I think, 91,000 or something like that. I, I know now, because I've, I've got another one I want to write, I know I can do, use exactly the, that format to do the, 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 the other one I've got in, in mind to do, but I've got to get this one out of my system first. But then it's about the, just the, the methodical... Uh, art of writing and I've been given I always listen to people's tips on writing one guy gave me a tip which was you've got to write a thousand words a day yep correct to be a writer and I think that's fair enough and funny enough writers people who don't write and you know not everybody wants to do it or, or can do it would think that's a real trial I I don't think it is I don't think it is hardest and, bit um, is the rewrite hardest bit is editing killing the well, darlings I, the way I did that book was I I would spend one day researching it. Now, a lot of it was in my head, but then you, your head is, is is not always accurate. So you've got to double check. Now, I think I say in the in the, in the forward somewhere, I've got 200 books. You know, I've got 200 books. You know, I've got lots of books and lots of scrapbooks and all that. So I, I, and I, and I sort of inherently know a lot about, about all this stuff, but I had to double check. So it would be a day's research a day's writing, and then a day's re-research and rewriting. And I tried to do two, call them chapters, but the seasons a week. So it gave me a day off in between to have a rest. And I also took, uh, I also used Dave Ball and Jen Rear at Liverpool Football Club, are the official stats guys there. And they write, in fact, they write the questions for questioning the sport. And I, every 10 seasons, I would send them the words, and they'd spot four or five mistakes uh, you know, not many howlers, you know, but mistakes. And, and I, I, you know, I hold my hands up. I'm sure there are still mistakes in there. I, you know, it's part of the, that's the book. So that was the construction and the craft behind the book. Which is, then, uh, which is different to writing a memoir as you've done in the past. So Yeah, it is. It is. But, but the, the trick about it is how you reflect your own experiences through it. Because anybody would write a 60-season history of Liverpool Football Club. And not anybody, but people who wanted to do it could do it because it's a historical it's a historical fact. But this has got your name on it, so it's got to have some of Brian yeah, Barwick in the story. Yeah, it's got my life in it. And, and I, I, I obviously wrote both books. I think that's the amusing thing, is when people say, who's writing it for you? Oh, and nonsense. You get a lot of that. You do get a lot of What are you doing it, recording it into a tape? I've never write every bloody word of it, <laughs> you know. And um, I did look at Anfield Days and Wembley Ways, and I gave it a quick spin through. I didn't want to read it too closely, because having read it, I didn't want to then it, it, it find its way onto the page of this one. 
although there are elements of it that can and must because then you know you can't change your life that's what happened the autobiography was i think 70 percent me and 30 percent about liverpool football this i think is 70 70 percent about liverpool 80 percent really and 20 percent about where i touch it you know and and because i do i you know there's a period in my life when i was very very close professionally to the club you know and and i think that's what makes the book unique uh, and certainly jed and dave ball who, who write liverpool books and have, have rewritten liverpool books for people think it's a different book and and it's very you must never mark your own homework uh, that's dangerous but I've, I've been very pleased with their reaction to it because they're two honest brokers and uh, they like it they think it's very they think, they think it's quite they also think it's very warm it I is think it is very warm usually warm and it's um it's a proper pitch book in that there's as much of the author as there is about the subject um i love that uh, the final in istanbul when michelle platini comes up to you clunk and goes well what's going to happen now and because uh, yeah. you were in the and eye did, of the storm the for what happened yeah in that yeah, i mean yeah. the best stories are always true stories it's a bit like that one about the pope that's a true story yeah, you know book. The guy had been welcomed to the northwest of England by about two and a half million people, and me and my mate were walking walking to the local pub, and, he, and they drove, the pubmobile drove past and had to slow down to turn left into the Archbishop's residence. So we had a private, a sort of private thing with him. But uh, no, all those stories. I mean, Platini. I made the point to you. I've been in that job at the FA about twenty minutes when I suddenly realised there's just something happening here about the the potential of uh, Liverpool winning the European Champions League but finishing outside the top four and one of the teams in the top four being Everton. And, and everything told me that we had to protect uh, both clubs and the, the wider English game from from that working against us. And I... And I my early knockings with the UEFA were to say, "Listen, there's a there's a situation that you need to be aware of, because we will fight this." This and they noted it, but said, "You know, football sort of works itself out." Well, it did work itself out. Uh, the way I told them it would work out: Everton finish fourth, Liverpool finish outside of the top four, but win the Champions League. And it was interesting how the, the story, oh, what a story, an amazing game, amazing game. And all the journos were all over it like a rash and they were fantastic coming out. But by about the Friday, the story was what happens next. And what happens next was I was on a plane to Chicago to uh, England were on a, on a two-game tour of, of uh, the States. We played a game in, in, um, in Chicago and then moved to New York. But uh, no, that was a story and... Uh, when I got back from the States, that will, that's all we did for three and a half, four weeks. You know, keep bashing away on the phone, on the fax, and we'd visit to able to get a resolution that was fair to all parts. And we made it, ended up managing to do it. Yeah. And that is why Liverpool ended up playing in the first qualifying round, despite having won in, uh, in Istanbul, yeah, which I'd completely forgot about, but one, it's true. Yeah, but they weren't that pleased about it. I, I bet know. they weren't. All that effort. Yeah. 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 Um, the book, um, again, 60 years of red, dot, 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 and counting, because you're going to have, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years more, and hopefully Liverpool will extend the 19 titles 
that they have won. I just wanted to, obviously, Heisel and Hillsborough are in the book, covered impeccably, not just because you were, you had quite a pivotal role to play in Hillsborough, which changed the law. I learned at law school. They changed the law of how you're affected by um, PTSD and stress in that if you were watching the TV coverage of a horrible event, you couldn't then claim proximity. You had to be in the ground. But that's by the by. Um, Forgotten Men. I just wanted you to hymn the following three men um, because they don't get as much. They're not in your 11s that you publish at the end of the book, but Alan Evans, Peter Cormack, Alan Waddle. They all get nice little cameos. Yeah, yeah, book. great, yeah. Well, I think football fans, I'm a football fan, you know. I might have done all these weird and wonderful things, but I'm a rock-solid football fan. And if you, those three guys, Alan Evans, I saw him score for Wolves against Liverpool where he outstripped Ron Yates and whacked it past Tommy Lawrence. So I saw him, he must have been 17 then, because by the time Shanks got hold of him a year later, he was 18. So his debut, and I, I put this into, I put this in Anfield Days and Wembley Ways, I didn't, I didn't put it into this one because I just thought, you know, it, it looks like you're just dropping one in front of Alan Evans' debut was against Leicester City in Anfield. Uh, uh, he, he was signed on a Monday and it Saturday, and it was a three o'clock game, no telly and all the rest of it. Liverpool scored after about three minutes. Liverpool scored after about six minutes. And he scored the third goal in about 12 minutes. Liverpool scored again about four minutes. They were 4 0 up after about a quarter of an hour. And we always used to stand in the same place. And a guy always used to turn up about 20 past three because his shift finished at three. And he got there and he said, Have we missed anything? And nobody, we all knew each other around him. Nobody knew how to tell, break the news to him. It was 4 <laughs> nil, yeah. And it ended up 4 nil. <laughs> and I always think that my guy must have gone to the pub that night. And they said, what a game, what a game. And he had about to bullshine his way through the, uh, through the, uh, yeah, well, the first goal was this and that. The second goal was that. So Alan Evans became uh, a favourite of mine. He was 18, I was 4, 13 or 14. I had... Uh, I am nowhere now, but I had blonde hair then. <laughs> you had blonde, and just everything about him was youthful. Mm-hmm. And he had a nearly not quite career, nearly not quite career. Uh, sadly, uh, he got injured, and then he got officially uh, injured in a, they in had a an attack. Yeah. yeah, terrible. So he was one. Peter Cormack was a player who played on his tiptoe. That's if a great line, by the way. Really good. If you speak to any. Liverpool fan who saw Peter Cormack, the first thing they talk about is how he how he ran and he really he sort of ran on tiptoe and uh, but he scored important goals. He just scored important goals. Then Alan Waddle scored only one goal, but it was an important goal. It was the winning goal in a in a derby match at Goodison Park. So you know, yeah, I say I think I said in the book, yeah, that's it, legend, full stop. I think he had about sixteen other goals. I, I remember playing at home against Manchester United. He must have had five chances to score, and he just didn't. And but he was still at the club. I think when Liverpool uh, won the European Cup, and, you know, he, he, he was in the party. If not, he definitely won in the team. So those, but those, I think, are the sort of details that set that give the the author the authority. You know, I think in every walk of life, you know, when you you don't see all of it, and there'll be bits of I will not have properly represented certain seasons because of just 
because of work, I would have not seen the number of games I used to see. You know, suddenly you're all over the world, or you know, you have a responsibility to go and see all the football. You know, when I was at the FA, I went to every type of game from grassroots right through to World Cup finals, right the way through. But, but so you do miss seeing them up close and personal. But uh, I think it's a fair reflection, and it's a fan's reflection, but it's a fan reflection who had unique access to things. I mean, the nice story is that one about Dalgleish's shirt. You know, I when he, when... Liverpool won that double in 86. They had to beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge to win it. And it wasn't a Chelsea of these days. It was a Chelsea of those days. You had a real chance of doing it. And, uh, of course, they did. And he scored the goal. And I knew Kenny well. And uh, I just thought... Uh, so, at the end of the game, I went and did some interviews. And he invited me in the dressing room. And he threw his shirt at me. And after about five minutes, I thought, well, I've been in this... I've been in this room long enough, I better, I better get out. And as I was walking out with the shirt, not that I was purloining the shirt, because in those days, shirts and autograph shirts and all that sort of stuff wasn't part of the part of the sort of souvenir geek. Ronnie Moran, the sergeant manager, said, Brian can have that shirt and putting them all in the hamper to get washed. And I gave it back and I thought to myself, years later, I thought I had that shirt that Kenny... You've got the anecdote. The anecdote's good enough. And you tell it in this book, 60 Years of Red and Counting a Lifetime's Passion. Ray Clements missed six league games in 11 seasons. Uh, Another player who has passed on. What an authoritative goalkeeper who uh, will always be bracketed with Peter Shelton. But you worked with Clem close up at England. Um, How far does Alisson have to go to displace Clements as Liverpool's greatest ever? Or will it never happen? You can only play in, in, in the area you play. And, uh, and football's changed, hasn't it? You know, people don't tend to play. But certainly foreign stars tend to, in the end, um, probably cross more international boundaries in a career than stay in one place. Clemens was remarkable. He played at all, all, all these games, you know. I mean, a good quiz question for a Liverpool fan is name the name the goalkeepers when he wasn't playing, Ooh. because uh, there wouldn't be many of them. I got to know him well. I got to know him well, and when he went to Tottenham, which was a surprise, I managed. I remember I was working on grandstand, and it's a big transfer. Brian, any chance of find you know speaking to him? And I managed to find him in a hotel, and he, you know, having found him, he had to, he felt obligated to come across and do a live interview for grandstand, which Coleman was very pleased with. I uh, thought you'd had, you know, we had a scoop on there, but Clemens uh, a great goalkeeper, great goalkeeper. So it's not a, it, I wouldn't even think that's a genuine contest at the moment. Just the just the number of games that Clem played in. Well, certainly in the in the era where you couldn't pick up the ball, Allison is the greatest. Um, I've written down five names here: Cara, Gerard, Maka, Fowler, Owen. All came through at Liverpool. Um, whom did you enjoy watching the most of those five? Uh, Gerard. I, I think Gerard uh, got as close as anybody will get to. Kenny Dudley's for me is the best player I've seen play for Liverpool. Once again, just the volume of games. Yeah. As much as anything else. He was a fantastic player. Uh, but he played around fantastic players as well. Have you sent Kenny a message after his um, delight yesterday? I saw those... Yeah. I mean, well done, the, well done, the Dat TV. Good TV like, editing there. Ferguson one shot, Dalgleish the next, and yeah, yeah. you know, both of them are very visual. 
you you know very visual you you, you can read what you can read what they're thinking mm-hmm. um so it, it was a it was quite a cute piece of television direction that uh, but kenny kenny was kenny but steven gerard played sometimes on his own you know um you know nobody plays on their own but he was inspirational a couple of goals you know that well the goal in the cup final against west ham amazing win, what a shame it wasn't at wembley yeah, sure. Wins them a cup final, ultimately. They didn't deserve to win. Gerard's goal in Istanbul got got the comeback started and really got them a Champions League final. And if you look just on the density of play, they didn't deserve to win it. You know, Carrer often says, you know, we only played for 12 minutes, but uh, it was vital 12 minutes. So for me, Gerard, fantastic footballer, and world-class footballer. And now, um, and now getting there as a manager. Although, as I always say, Gerard managed by Benitez, Julier, Hodgson, Capello. Of course, you're going to be a great manager with that pedigree. You actually say you're very good about the 2000s era at Liverpool, especially about how Evans, Roy Evans wanted to keep a winning team. Julier wanted to rotate. Julier gave Liverpool back a little of our lost self-respect. Uh, and uh, yeah, which I will. I think that's absolutely true. Um, you're also very kind about Fernando Torres. But perhaps I think your biggest achievement was uh, to get... I can't name all 11 of them. Jerry Byrne and Ian Callaghan. Yeah. The point about this was, in the days, when they won the World Cup and, and subsequent and, and previous and subsequent World Cups, the team, the, the 11 who played in the final, winners and runners-up, got medals, but nobody else did. When I got... At the FA, I did various things. Firstly, I put a huge photograph of Bobby Moore in the World Cup in, in my office because there didn't seem to be any. It was one of those very modern offices. It didn't really have a desk, so I put a desk in, a table in, because I like to sit around the t- table and discuss it. It was very of, it, of the moment, but it wasn't very it wasn't of my moment. And then I put this great big photograph of them. And one of the regular visitors to Soho's Grove was Jimmy Armfield. Jimmy was a great guy and uh, was one of the 22. And I, you know, we used to talk about, he used to see this buddy, oh, there's Bobby, and it wasn't, what a great day it was. And we got talking and uh, I said, what did, the, what did the rest of the boys get? And well, nothing. And Bobby Moore made sure that any bonus was shared between them all. And then I think it, it wasn't just me. I think that... A couple of the newspapers uh, got stuck in as well, and but I had the I certainly had the opportunity to speak to Blatter uh, and and to speak to the FIFA people on a more regular basis just because of the of the work I did. And between us all, we managed to get to a situation, including FIFA, by the way, of reflecting that perhaps you know we should that they should go back in time to whoever was still uh, alive in back in the. 30s and in the early 50s and all that, and put right something that wasn't necessarily wrong at the time, but just not thought through at the time. And and yeah, so Cali, because Cali played a game, he, he played a game. He's actually set up Roger Hunt's score. Yeah. And Jerry didn't play a game, but but those two got those two Liverpool lads, and Jimmy Green's got a medal through this as well. You know, um, so they all enjoyed their moment, which was tremendous. So to conclude, um, I love this line about Luis Suarez, by the way, who makes your foreign eleven at the end of the book, along with 
uh, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Xabi Alonso, Philip Coutinho, Risa Hippia, Virgil van Dijk, Babel, Alisson and Torres. Part Merlin, part Menace. With Suarez, wasn't it a case of he's our menace? Yeah, I mean, listen, he was a tr- an absolutely fantastic footballer. But he did have um, elements in his makeup that made him, for me, um, I think I'll call it a flawed genius. I mean, he, he, you know, he, there are things about him. But as a footballer, as Norwich City fans. Um, <laughs> yes, for John Rodgers. Yeah, no, I mean, and funny enough that I heard the, the Liverpool away fans were singing that during that. They played them they played them twice this season, haven't they, already, or mm-hmm. once in the Carabao. And they spent the whole of the Carabao Cup talking about Suarez. No, Suarez is a fantastic footballer and has gone on to be a fantastic footballer at Barcelona, at Atletico. And I'm going up next week to see Atletico at, at uh, Liverpool, so it'll be interesting to see. Oh, smashing. Enjoy that and enjoy your many trips to Anfield. As a fan... Um, you sat in the cop where you, or you didn't, you stood in the cop when you said you were part of the choir, not the audience. And uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never been to a competitive game at Anfield. I've sat in the cop at one of the Hillsborough Memorial Games, uh, sure. but it's a, it's a fine football club that you have the geographic luck to support. Um, and I, I love how you say that the celebrations when you won your 19th title went on for days and days which is why I thought maybe we should postpone this interview so you can enjoy the the victory of the the five nil win a bit more. But so you've got, I guess you've, you're promoting this book. You said you've got a next one in mind. Have you told Pitch about the next one? No, but I think they'll like the idea. Hmm. It's once again leaning on my not just football actually, leaning on my experiences, the people I've met, and some of the remarkable opportunities I've had to be so close to the action. And uh, written in the same style, actually, chronologically. So uh, that I know I can write. And that I also know, I think, will have a similar interest, but it's not pure football, which is also, I think, refreshing. What I've written there, to be honest, I'm pretty proud of it. I think every book you write, you're astonished you write it. And certainly the people around you are astonished you've written it. But I spent a lot of time time hours and hours and hours on this one agony the agony of watching liverpool win all those titles but 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 also it has a lightness of touch and an authenticity so people i I hope people who take the trouble to read it get a lot of fun out of it here here anfield days and wembley ways and are you watching the match tonight inducted onto the shelves of the football library along with the life's work uh forward by jamie carragher but it's only about 500 words. Um, well, I think there, there should be an audio book of this, 60 Years of Red and Counting. A perfect Christmas gift for the red in your life. Have a very nice retirement as much as you can, uh, Mr. Barwick, and uh, enjoy this season um, under the great Cloppo, the genius. The genius, it's Cloppo. All the very best to you. Cheers, mate. ta Cheers,